Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. A series of honest conversations about opportunities, challenges, and joy in ministry today. I'm Adam Mixon, content curator. I'm Adam Borneman, program director. I'm Jennifer Maxell, program curator. And I'm Mark Ramsey, executive director of the Ministry Collaborative. A project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation, the Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Every day, we are inspired by ministry leaders from across the country who are exploring possibilities, learning from broad perspectives, taking risks, and who are eager to join candid discussions that generate disruptive creativity. Hello, everyone. Hello. This is Jennifer Watley-Maxell, and I am so excited today to be here in conversation with Dr. Monica Coleman and David Finnegan-Hosey. We have been talking very briefly about some things that I think are going to be so helpful Um, And so informative just to where we are right now. How are you both doing today? It's good to see you. Good. Yeah, doing well. Thank you. Thanks for asking. Good, good. Um, One of the advantages we have is when we tape these, we're able to see each other. And even though our listeners are not able to see us, just want you to give them a bit of sense of who you are. And we'll start with uh, Monica, and then we'll go to David, if that's okay with you. My name is Monica A. Coleman, and by day, I am a professor of Africana Studies at the University of Delaware. And with all the rest of my time, I run after an eight-year-old and try to keep her happy and healthy with growing skills of independence. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm also ordained clergy in the AME Church. Yeah, so my name is David Finnegan-Hosey. I serve as the Barton College Chaplain uh, here in Wilson, North Carolina, in Eastern North Carolina. Barton is a small liberal arts college affiliated with the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, and I'm ordained in the Disciples of Christ. I'm also married, and my wife is 39 weeks pregnant, uh, so <laughs> I'm about to be a, a father of a human for the first time. I've been a puppy dad uh, for a few years now, and our dog's name is Penny Lane. <laughs> well, sleep there now. Sleep yeah. now. That's yes. what I hear. I have yes. three children, and we actually have a brand new puppy in our house. We have one dog who's four, and we have a new puppy. And so, yeah, I feel like I have 12 kids. I do want to start this conversation at this intersection of youth, young people, children. There is so much going on in our world right now. And just as a parent, not to mention as, you know, a clergy person, I look at my children, they are 20, 14, and 13. And in some ways they seem so resilient. But with everything going on right now, I mean, as an adult, I struggle sometimes just to try to make sense of it all and navigate it all. What do you think in terms of faithful communities, our responsibility is or our role is with our children and our young people today? I can say for me, parenting my child makes me a better person because I have to be understanding for her, which reminds me to be more understanding to myself and to other people. I think right now she's having tantrums. I mean, not like a toddler because she's eight, Mm -hmm. but she has basically coronavirus tantrums. Like She's mad about it. She wants to be with her friends. She wants to be able to do more. And she yells about it maybe about once a week. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, you're having the tantrum we all want to have. Yeah, right? relatable content. <laughs> like, <laughs> I want to see my friends too. Yeah. I want to go outside and do things too. And 
I just kind of tell myself, suck it up, this is what it is. Mm -hmm. But for her, I validate those feelings and say, yeah, of course you do. It's not fair. It does suck. Let's be mad about it. I have big feelings too. And so it's a reminder to me that we all really kind of need that affirmation Mm -hmm. that this does kind of suck. And we're used to doing things a certain way. And we really, even though we can adapt, we really are losing some yes. things were not that just that we're used to, but that helped us be okay and well and happy people. I have a goddaughter who's a freshman in college and she's home, you know, doing her freshman year online and she was supposed to go to Howard University. So she's missing that freshman college experience. She kind of missed a lot of her senior year high school experience. And so I know there are a lot of uh, young people on college campuses who are not on college campuses and not experiencing that kind of uh, experience that they're supposed to be having right now. Um, David, do you have any experience with that and, and what we can be looking at and kind of looking for and speaking to? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll just start by saying like, even before COVID-19, it really was college students who taught me how to speak really honestly about mental health and mental health struggles. I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder in 2011 after a series of hospitalizations being in and out and in and out of the hospital and came back from that experience and started this internship working with college students in a campus ministry setting and talked a little bit about what I had been through and found just student after student coming to me and saying, I'm really struggling with anxiety and depression right now, or I've got a family member with a severe mental illness. It's a really big challenge for them and for us, or I have a roommate or a friend who's going through a really dark time, and I don't even know what language to put on it, but I don't know how to help them. And I didn't know we could talk about it here in church, right? Mm. But now you have, so now I know that I can, which was a real kind of a wake-up call for me of just even sort of stumbling into creating some space for students to be able to speak honestly about their more difficult or their more challenging experiences that they weren't sure whether they could talk about that here and affirming like not only yes we can talk about that here but actually that's what we're about right we're about bringing our whole selves to God and to each other and being in that experience with grace and with welcome and with some kind of wholeness in the midst of a a pretty fragmented experience right So I think college students are longing for our honesty, right? They're longing for campuses, for churches, for other forms of institutions to be places where people are speaking into the experiences they're having instead of trying to create this like glossier version of life that we're we're trying to put out there. So I think absolutely then in the midst of the pandemic, that becomes even more important. I'm on a small campus we're in person that has a lot of challenges associated with it. And I wish we were speaking a little bit more honestly, I think, about those challenges and about the difficulty of those decisions. And when we do that, we're met with students who are then willing to speak a bit more honestly about Mm -hmm. their mixed feelings, their struggles. Like, I want to be here with my friends, but this is really weird. And I'm also nervous about my health, right? That's all there. Can we talk about it in a way that's honest and authentic to our experiences? So I love what you said there, longing for honesty. And I know that um, about a year and a half ago, I did a post for it was like Mental Health Awareness Month or something on Facebook. And I just like kind of shared my experience with anxiety 
I didn't even think about it. It was just, you know, a friend had shared hers. I was like, oh, this is great. I'll put this out there. And I was overwhelmed with the responses of people, particularly clergy persons who responded and thanked me for putting that out there and talking about it. And it was interesting because it was almost like after I put it out there and they started responding, I was like, oh, wait, is this something I should have been feeling some kind of way about? But for me, it really was this eye-opening to the fact that this is still something that we in faith communities don't talk about. And I think particularly in communities of color, it is especially not something that we talk about openly. And so I'm wondering, how do you see us being able to provide vulnerable space. I guess that's the way I want to put it. Um, In these moments, how is it since we are not connecting in ways that are comfortable to us, we're already out of our comfort zones. How do we start to build space where we can have these authentic places for people to connect and for people to share and to start to be able to do this work of enabling honest spaces. Monica? One reason it's hard to create the space is because we need the space ourselves. Mm. And I think so many of us have gone into that mode of how can I shift and change and adapt and be there for the people I work with that we haven't always, even this is not just pandemic, of course, even before, kind of taking care of our own selves, especially in the areas of mental health. It's so easy to be undiagnosed, first of all. (laughs) And there's so many reasons where we might have anxiety or depression because of a certain situation, and then it would get better, and you kind of push your way through it. So I think a big part of it is really making sure that we as religious leaders have religious leaders. Pastors need pastors, right? That Mm -hmm. we have therapists, that we have people we can talk to who have no investment whatsoever in the success of our ministry, but who only care about our Mm well-being, which I find you usually have to pay to get that level of cheer, I only care about you Mm -hmm. um, from somebody else. Because I think when we do that, then we're in a better place. And then we can be honest about what we're doing and what we're experiencing and how it's helping us. And that, like you said earlier, David, really opens the door for other people to say, oh, well, if the person who I respect and who preaches to me and who leads this Bible study can go to a therapist or can talk about having anxiety or depression or bipolar, then it's okay for me too. Or then maybe they can refer me to somebody or I can feel like it's safe and I'm not going to be judged. I love that. I think that our ability to model healthy vulnerability, like, right, which starts with our own health, to Dr. Coleman's point, is really important and then create space for other people to then be able to step into what can be an uncomfortable space. And so my ability to share my story in a healthy way creates space for other people to share their stories, which then creates a conversation that can then lead us out into the broader conversation around mental health in our country and our world, right? Because one of the reasons why there's stigma and silencing around the experience of mental health struggle is because there are barriers and systems that prevent people from getting access to care. Some of the creation of those unjust systems has been done using psychiatric or psychological 
language as a means of control instead of as a means of grace, right? Mm -hmm. So we, on the one hand, I can share my story and create some space. And on the other hand, that space that's created has to create a conversation that's addressing some of these broader systemic issues. Because if I'm just saying to you, like, hey, it's safe for you to share your story, but then there's no care on the other end of that story sharing experience, right? Why would you trust me Mm -hmm. to invite you to share your story? So the conversation happens, I think, on sort of multiple levels at the same time. And I appreciate what you said about the structural issues. When I was going up for ordination many, many years ago, (laughs) there was this question on the ordination form that you do every year. Like, have you been convicted of a felony? Have you seen a therapist? Like, why are these in the same category, right? Right? Mm -hmm. So either you were going to lie about seeing a therapist because who knows how you were going to get interrogated about it, but it wasn't seen as like, this is something you should be doing because it's a good support for you going into ministry. Mm-hmm. It was like, have you committed a crime? Do we need to be concerned? Are you crazy? Do we need to be concerned? Mm-hmm. And so that was a real structural issue that created a dangerous situation. So clergy wouldn't want to get therapy. It's not like the ordination process is one year, right? This is like questionnaire you're seeing for four or five years, oh, yeah. maybe longer. And that was a real structural problem. I don't know if it looks the same anymore. I hope it's different. It really should be like, hey, this is something we should talk about every year of your ordination process. Like, do you have therapists? You should have one. Do you know ones you can refer people in your church to? So that would be a structural issue that no matter how much an individual talks about it, if it's still stigmatized within the structure of our leadership, then we still have a really big problem. Yeah, I I completely agree. We may have some people who are listening who they're not even at that level yet. They're still trying to figure out how to uh, share their story, how to confront some of their own issues that maybe they haven't even really thought about. And as two people who have both shared quite a bit of your story publicly and have helped so many people, are there some steps that you took? Are there some things that you did just within your own self that kind of enabled you to start to tell yourself some of your own truths. I think part of what happens is sometimes we have been, and both of you have written about how in your families or experiences, stuff wasn't talked about or just stuff wasn't, you know, named. And so as you start having experiences, you know, it's kind of hard to decide, is this real or imagine? Is this something that is something, or is this, quote unquote, what we always say, normal. You know, I think at first I sort of stumbled into this, right? So, which I wouldn't recommend. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, I don't know, do what I say, not what I do, I guess. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, initially I hit a wall, right? I hit an absolute wall um, and was lucky enough to have some people who were able to support me in getting some help that I really needed, some emergency help at first, right, that I really needed and starting my own healing journey with that and then finding that being able to talk about that healing journey also offered some space and some healing to others. So I think a lot of then the work that I've done since then is trying to say, okay, like how do we do this and do it well, right? How do we share stories and share them well, create space for those stories and do that well, and then lead those stories out into a broader conversation and do that well? I think those are kind of the big questions that I was left asking after this experience. Here I am in seminary doing well, things are going great. And internally, it just feels like everything's kind of coming apart at the seams. And I didn't know how to talk about it. And I'd like other people to 
to maybe have some better resources for being able to talk about it. I think in many ways, we need to begin with the premise that we're not okay. No one's okay, not now. And anyone who decides to go to ministry is probably not really okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes, let's just name <laughs> that in this space. <laughs> but in, seriously, when you go into helping professions, you're going to get a lot put on you that is more than an individual should bear alone. Right, whether you're a teacher, a social worker, or clergy, or lay ministry, right? That is the nature of helping professions. So some of it's like we get checkups for physicals, right? We know we should do every year. Just go ahead and get a checkup, right? Like assume that you're not okay, whether it's because of COVID, because of the job you have, because of the calling you have, or because you're a person of color in America. Just assume that something is wrong, not horribly wrong necessarily, Mm -hmm. but that you could probably benefit. And I think if we kind of saw it as a yearly checkup and then as something were really, really like a clinical kind of diagnosis, somebody could kind of figure that out, right? Mm -hmm. Or you would be ready for that. I think that's probably one place to start is not to assume that I'm great and then crash, which is what happens to so many of us, Mm -hmm. but to assume you could use some support and then see how much support (laughs) you will end up needing. And for me, I began talking more publicly about it because, like you said, David, I wanted resources that didn't exist. And I started by blogging through the lectionary, actually, which is funny because I don't come from a tradition that uses a lectionary. But I heard of it in divinity school. So I said, let's try this. And I wanted to kind of do a keep it real faith, like a faith that's like, oh, they that wait upon the Lord shall mount up. You know what? Waiting sucks. Let's just talk about that. (laughs) A way of looking at scriptures and biblical stories through the lens of what it means to live with a kind of sadness or what it means to struggle. And doesn't mean we don't like God or aren't faithful, but that maybe it's just not as neat and packaged and clean as we often say it is. Yeah, I think there's so much power in that. I had a recent conversation with my youngest, who is way smarter and more insightful than I ever was, The conclusion that she came to at the end of the conversation was, you know, mommy, God is really messy. (laughs) And I was like, you know what? You're right. God is really messy. And I really appreciate the spaces that both of you all open for people to admit that and then to be able to explore what a messy God looks like, especially among our messy lives, that all of this stuff that we try to clean up and make look so nice and neat just really isn't. And part of us getting there is just to be able to admit how messy we both are and that it's okay. It's more than okay. It is what it is, but it is what it is in the best sense of the word. Both of you have so many resources. Can you tell people where we can find you and how we can reach you and get our hands on some of the resources that you offer? DavidFinneganHosey.com is my website and there's a resource section uh, and you can also... uh, through that website, then check out my books, uh, Christ on the Psych Ward and Grace is a Pre-Existing Condition, Faith Systems and Mental Health Care. And uh, also, you know, keep a lot of things like uh, helplines if you know somebody who's in crisis and additional resources uh, there on the website. And you can find me at MonicaAColeman.com. Again, you can find my books there as well, Bipolar Faith, which is a memoir, and Not Alone, which is a 40-day devotional. And I also have a free devotional they can get on the first page. And you can find me on social media under Rev. Dr. Monica. Awesome. Well, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for both of you being here with us today. Thank you so much. It was great to be here. (laughs) Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. Our producer is Marthame Sanders. To find out more about us and our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org. 